So good morning and welcome. I'll just wait for a second for Solid to get out. So, um, so today we're continuing our series on the 2020 vision. Or actually, it's almost like a reminder series of the 2020 vision, because actually at the beginning of the year, we began a series on 2020 vision, and now we are in the middle of the year, and we are, what we're doing, we're just reminding ourselves of the vision that as a church we are committed to. And, and, and the thing about the 2020 vision, there are particular scriptures that are, kind of underpins this vision. And each week we're kind of going through these texts, reminding us what the vision is about and the scripture behind the vision. And for today, the scripture I'm going to be looking at is Habakkuk, chapter 3, um, verse 19. Now I've got a confession to make. That, that when Steve originally gave me this verse, I was a little stumped in terms of working out what on earth I was going to say. And, and but it's just one of those things. I, I, I got the text and I looked at it and I, and I just, it just wasn't, obvious, it just wasn't apparent what I was going to do in terms of a sermon. And so what I ended up doing, I ended up reading the entire chapter. I read the entire chapter. And as I read the chapter, it all began to fall into place. But there's good news. I'm not going to get you to read the entire chapter. But we are going to read four verses. So you're not going to simply read verse 19. We're going to read verse 16 through to 19. So if you have your Bible, if you can turn to the book of Habakkuk. It's one of those tiny prophet, Bible, prophet books in the Old Testament. Um, and we can go to chapter 3. And I'm going to read from verse 19, from, from verse 16 all the way through to verse 19. Okay. I hear and I tremble within. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones and my steps tremble beneath me. I wait quietly for the day of calamity to, to come upon the people who attack us. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, Though the produce of the olive fails, and the fields yield no field. Though the flock is cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exalt in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights to the leader with stringed instruments. Now, to understand the book of Habakkuk, you kind of need to understand a little bit of Jewish history, okay? And so, to understand Jewish history, how should I do this? Okay, if I was to ask you what was the most significant event for the ancient Jews, I imagine a number of people would probably say it was the Exodus. And to be honest, that's a pretty good shout. It was a very significant event. But what a lot of scholars have come to realise, actually the, the big event that completely shaped the ancient Jews was actually the Babylonian exile. Okay? So the Babylonian exile happened about 2,500 years ago, approximately. And it was the Babylonians who were like a superpower of the time. And they came and they conquered the Jews and they took them away as slaves 
and it was a, a, a very a destructive, a very violent, a very hurtful, a very oppressive time, a time of, that was overwhelming and there was heartbreak and there was slavery and there was separating of families. It, 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 it completely distraught them. It completely crushed them. It crushed them physically. It crushed them spiritually. It crushed them emotionally. And they never recovered. And because of that, it, it is kind of the, the most defining event for the ancient Jews. In fact, many scholars now believe that actually this event had shaped much of, how, of the Old Testament that we've come to know and love. So, for example, the first five books in the Bible, it talks about the origins of the ancient Jews. And then we have the historical books, which talks about how they ended up in the Canaan land and, and became established. It talks about their successes and their failures. And then in the Old Testament, we get these prophetic texts that, that does two things. It first provides warnings to the Jews about how they live and their conduct, warning them that if they're not careful, that one day a superpower will come and crush them, which is what ends up happening in real life with the Babylonian exile. But within those texts, there's also um, pieces of literature and books that talk about a time where even these superpowers, they will come to an end. And that God will actually bring restoration and transformation and healing and redemption and salvation and justice back to the Jews. And the book of Habakkuk is one of those books. The book of Habakkuk is one of those books that talks about the restoration, the, the turning of the tides, God bringing um, redemption and salvation for the Jews. And chapter 3 is kind of the climax of that book. It's actually a prayer. Actually, it's more than a prayer. It's a psalm. It was something that he used to say corporately, probably perhaps even sung corporately um, in an ancient Jewish service. And as the sung it, they would be reflecting on the, 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 the sorrows and the toughness and the struggles, but also remembering that there's going to be a time that God will turn things around. He will bring restoration. He will bring healing. He will bring justice. He will bring redemption. And he will bring salvation back to the Jews. Now, what's also special about Habakkuk chapter 3 is that we now know it was like it was the Jews saw it as a timeless text. Okay? It was a timeless text. What do I mean by that? Well, for a start, Habakkuk was correct. The Babylonians, who were a massive superpower, they came and then they went away. But then after that, other superpowers came. We had the Persians, we had the ancient Greeks, we had the Romans. And we know that within each phase of, of difficulty, each phase of dismay, the Jews would go back to Habakkuk chapter 3, and although the, the, the chapter was talking about the Babylonians, they would, they, would, they would basically go back to the text and say, actually, this text has, is timeless, and the promises within this text is timeless, and, what, and, and what, what God can do to the Babylonians, God can do for the Persians, and God can do during the time of the ancient Greeks and for the Romans. And actually, this text became a timeless promise for the Jews, a timeless promise that God would bring transformation, healing, redemption, and salvation for his people. And basically what I'm saying today is this text is still timeless for us. And it's still very much timeless for the 2020 vision. Now let's talk about today, okay? Let's talk about today. Now, we're not, we don't have Babylonians, thank God. We don't have ancient Persians or the ancient Greeks or the Romans, 
We're not, we're not being oppressed by a colonial superpower. But the fact is today is still a, a, a time of great dismay, of great violence, of great oppression, of great evil. You only got to turn on the television and you see and you be overwhelmed by just the negativity, by the heartbreak that's, that, that ravages God's planet. I, st- I stuck some pictures on this, uh, up here, and um, just, just to give a taste of what's going on in the world today. Um, in the left, you, you see some dead cattle. Um, that's basically East Africa. In East, so places like Sudan, where they've had tremendous famine, about 16 million people, lives have been completely ravaged by famine. It's heartbreaking. Um, there was another picture I had in mind, which was a picture of, it's basically guys with guns. So the, the three worst humanitarian places on the planet are Iraq, Syria, and Yemen. And the vast population, I mean, you're talking about 80%, particularly in Yemen, don't have safe water, they don't have medication, they're homeless. It's, it's just the numbers are overwhelming. That's outside the UK. Within the UK, on the right-hand side, this is a picture of London Bridge. We all know what happened there. This is particularly poignant to me because I'm a Londoner and I, I, you know, I love my, my lover's city and when something bad happens, it hurts me. Also, I was there two days after the event. Um, not really the event, the, what actually happened. Two days after, I had my final um, class. I, got to, I, got to, I was going to college around um, London Bridge and I was there two days later and it was all closed down, and the police were there, and it was a very eerie, um, sobering experience. And in the middle, this is talking about the state of the church. Now, believe it or not, you know, we look at our, our own church, actually, our church is doing quite well. We see lots of new faces, you know, there's, 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 there's a vibrancy, there's an energy within our church. But on a macro level, actually, the UK church is not doing so well. Um, let's put it this way. Every week, there's about 10,000 less babies being christened um, into normally the Church of England compared to what was going on the previous week. Now, we don't do christenings, but you, 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 know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that's not great news. There's about 2,000 adults that leave the UK church, or at least the structured UK church, every week. This article is talking about children. This article um, written by the Evangelical Alliance, it's a little bit old now, but it's basically saying that actually there's only about 400,000 children who regularly attend church in the UK. That's, 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 that's bad. I mean, basically, when you see our church children at the front of the church, they're not normal. They are the exceptions. They are the exceptions. In, in most churches, they don't see children running around at the front, which is one of the reasons we let it happen, because what's going on is rare. And we don't want to forget that. We don't want to lose that. And unfortunately, the numbers are getting worse. And I'm, and I'm saying all of this not to depress you. I'm saying this because, you know, who believes Jesus is Lord? Sometimes it's, I believe Jesus is Lord, but sometimes it's really hard to see it. And when I look at these pictures, these pictures make me think, of verses 16 and 17 of the text we've just read, where we, where we tremble, where we're, we're frightened, our lips quiver, our feet feel un- unstable. 
No, we, we look to the fig tree and see no fruits. We know God is Lord, you know Jesus is Lord, but we struggle to see the fruits at times. But the good news is, the verse we just read, the passage we just read, doesn't finish at verse 17. It finishes at verses 18 and 19. Can you go to the next slide, please? Okay, I, I shouldn't need to introduce this guy to you, because I'm sure you all know. But as a courtesy, I will do so. So this is John Sheridan from Babylon 5. Babylon 5 being one of the greatest sci-fi shows to ever grace God Green Earth. Possibly the greatest sci-fi show to ever grace God Green Earth. Anyway, in the introduction sequence in season four, as I'm sure you all remember, John Sheridan famously says this word. He says, it's a new age. He doesn't say it like that. He says, it's a new age, like that. Really dramatic, and it's, it's fantastic. And, and when I read verses 18 and 19, that sequence, and John Sheridan saying, it's a new age, jumps into my mind. Because that's what those verses are talking about. It's saying that God is doing a new thing. We're entering a new age, a new phase, a new time, a new season. See, verses 16 and 17 is like, you can't see God moving. It's basically saying, look, we're screwed. But in 18 and 19, it's saying, no, we're not. God is doing a new thing. God is already, is already doing a new thing. And though we don't see it right now, we don't see the fruit right now. We don't see all the miracles that we hope for right now. Sometimes the world can seem incredibly bleak and overwhelming right now. There will be a time where we start to see it because there will be a new age. And 2020 vision, the division for this church, is like the symptoms. It's like the fruits of that new age Bubbling into life, into human history. Bubbling into life, in the, into the human drama. Into the life of the church. Into the life of, of, of our community. So when we talk about 2020 vision, what we're saying is, is God is going to do something new, and there will be physical fruits, physical symptoms. It's a bit like an itch or a rash. If you have an itch or a rash, it normally means something else is going on. Okay, well, 2020 vision is a bit like the itch or the rash of the kingdom of God come to life within Crawley, within our community, and within the wider world. And the key thing is that God makes it happen. It's not us that makes it happen. That's the key thing in all of this. Habakkuk says it's God's strength. It's not my strength. It's not Habakkuk's strength. It's not your strength. It's God's strength. If you go back to the previous slide, the difference between this and back forward again. And that is God. It's God, okay? <laughs> That's the difference. God may, if, there's any, if, you, if you're going to remember anything from today's sermon, I want you to remember three things. Number one, Sheridan was pretty cool. <laughs> number two, God makes it happen. And number three... God makes it happen. Yes. Good. But if you're able to remember more, I will continue to preach. 
So you get to the next slide. Right, here's, here's the 2020 vision. This is, for me, a ridiculous list. <laughs> it's, a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous list because it's impossible. L let me explain. One, give away 60,000 pounds. Let me quantify that. We're not talking about a one-off. Because, to be honest, we've done this as a one-off. We've done 60,000 pounds as a one-off. In fact, we once done 200,000 pounds as a one-off. Okay? We're not talking about a one-off. We're not talking about a time when we, we squeeze every penny we've got and rack up a massive credit card bill and, put, and, and do a, a one massive gift day and then spend the next four years paying it off. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a time when a church can actually give £60,000 and in the following year, the church can actually give sixty or more thousand pounds and then the following year, the church can actually give sixty or more thousand pounds. And my verdict is impossible. <laughs> Number two, pray for healing for over 1,500 people. Sure, why not? In fact, why don't you bung an extra zero on the end of that? If you're going to start asking for ridiculous numbers, why stop there? Why stop at 1,500? Why not go for more? Basically, it's an impossible figure. Baptise 140 people. That's like baptising a whole bunch of people every single week. Impossible. Impossible numbers. Plant another church. Okay, that's, that's not so... Uh, no, I wouldn't say that's impossible. Unlikely, but impossible. <laughs> Give away more leaders. But it all depends on if they're good leaders or bad leaders. You know, if, it's, if it's bad leaders... I, I, I've got faith for that. We can give away bad leaders. For good leaders, impossible. The next building phase, of, you know, for a building project, that's just not going to happen, folks. Impossible. And then fee crawly. Okay, that's easy. <laughs> fee crawly is easy. I have what's known as hindsight faith when it comes to fee crawly. <laughs> the difference is pre-hindsight faith, it's, it's impossible, we're going to die. And then hindsight and faith, yeah, we got this. I've, I've already seen God do miracles with feed callers, so I'm confident with number seven. With the other six, for me, impossible. In our strength. In our strength. That's the key thing. In God's strength, all of those things are completely reasonable, acceptable, plausible, and believable. In God's strength. Can this church give away £60,000, and actually, I mean, in terms of giving away, not just as a one-off, if God's strength, absolutely plausible, absolutely possible. Can God, can, can we be praying for healing for 1,500 for people? Absolutely. You could bung 20 zeros at, at the end of that number. And although it would be kind of impossible in the sense there isn't that many people in the planet, theoretically, it's still reasonable. 140 people being baptised, that's completely possible. Planting another church, we can probably plant four other churches, completely possible. Give away more leaders, yes. Building project, yes. Fee Crawley, well, I already said, you know, we got that. <laughs> I'm confident with Fee Crawley. So the point is, is that with God, all these things are possible, okay? If you go to the next slide, please. Now, I have to, I have to explain this title because I haven't written it very well. Um, this is basically saying Habakkuk 3, colon, golden rules. <laughs> there are actually four golden rules. There isn't three. I mean, I could have put Habakkuk 
three, four golden rules, but then it would look like Habakkuk 34, which was really confusing. Because you know, there isn't faithful chapters, and there isn't faithful rules. But anyway, you, you know what I mean. There's basically four rules for Habakkuk chapter 3. So rule number one. We need to lose our Messiah complex. Now, for all those who love mission, and I mean all kinds of mission, I'm talking about, you know, preaching. I'm talking about caring for the poor. I'm talking about people who, 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 who challenge the injustices in the world. For all people like that, one, what the, what our biggest enemy is that we kind of think that if we don't make it happen, it ain't going to happen. We get a Messiah complex. If we don't do it, if we don't preach, if we don't give, if we don't make it happen, the world's going to die. And the truth is, it's not true. You know, God does not need me. And God does not need you. He wants us. He wants us to be involved. But God's purposes will happen with or without us. And it's important to understand. It's important to understand. Habakkuk talks about his God's strength. It's not his strength. He knows where the power lies. The power lies of God. And it's also important because it's also the burden lies of God. Okay? It's not our burden. Mission is not the burden of Crawley Community Church. Mission is the burden of God. His shoulders are strong enough to carry the weight of that burden. Our shoulders are not strong enough. If you put the burden of mission for planet Earth on our shoulders, it will crush us. But the good news, it's fine because it's not our burden. It's God's burden. We don't have to put it, take it all upon ourselves. Okay? Just recently, um, I um, renewed our, our, our energy supply. And we've gone for complete green energy in our household. Now, some might, people might say that's completely ludicrous because, Richard, you're not going to single-handedly save the world. Duh. <laughs> Of course I'm not going to save the world. I'm not, I'm not trying to save the world. I believe God's going to save the world. My favorite thing, I know, I know my limitations. Okay? I'm, I'm, an, I'm not deluded. I know what I can do and what I cannot do. And mission is something I can't do. But I do believe God can. And because I believe God can, I do certain things. My actions are, are not a reflection of what I'm doing, my actions are a reflection in my trust in what God is doing. Okay? So we need to lose our Messiah complex and understand that the power lies with God. Habakkuk understood where the power lies. The second point is that we need to remember God's character. Now in the, in the, the, the passage we just read, Habakkuk says, um, he talks about you know, patiently waiting what he says is he waits for a calamity to fall upon the people that attack us. In other words, he, he, he waits for God to bring things around, to turn things around, to bring justice. He, he, um, he talks about um, joy in, in, in the midst of trouble. Now, to say that, you must know the character of God. You must understand the character of God. He says, I exalt the Lord. Now, here's the deal. No one says, I exalt the Lord, if they think God's a jerk. And they might say the words, but they won't mean them. To say and mean it must mean you must truly understand that God is good and that God is faithful and that God is trustworthy. Habakkuk understands that. He's, he's not blind. He sees the troubles in front of him. 
He's frightened, but he understands and he remembers the character of God. He remembers that regardless of what's going on, regardless of what he sees, even when he can't see the fruits of God moving around him, he knows that actually God's character is trustworthy, it's faithful, it's good. I can rely on God. I might not be able to rely on myself. I might not be able to rely on the people around me. I might not be able to rely on those I love and those I cherish, but I can rely on God. He, he has complete understanding and he remembers the character of God. Can I get an amen? amen. Number three. This is one of my favorite ones. Remember God is present. I say again, remember God is present. As in God is here. Not God is up there, but God is here. As in God is with us. Like, like now. As in today. In this room. When we go home. When we're at work. When we're at school. When we're in our cars. God is present. Even when things look dark. Even when things look bleak. Even when things look difficult. Even when we have a, a vision list that seems impossible. God is with us. You know, in, in his passion, it's very clear for Habakkuk that he understands that God is not distant, that God has not abandoned him. He knows that God is there. He may not see it all the time, but he understands that. There's a real sense of God's activity being, being, being present, being active. You know, one of my favorite Christian doctrines, it probably is my favorite Christian doctrine, is the, the doctrine of the incarnation, where the God up there comes and joins us down here, where the God becomes a geezer. I like to say, you know, the geezer God. <laughs> when God becomes a man and, and, and he hangs around us and he, and he interacts with us and he talks with us and he meets our needs, not up there, but here. There's present activity. There's a nowness about God. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, the God that rolls his sleeves up and gets his hands dirty. You know, he, he actually comes and moves and he's present and he's active. I find it incredibly exciting. You know, one of my um, favorite Theologians, a guy called Jürgen Moltmann. He's a German guy. And when he was 17 years old, he, he actually fought in the Second World War. He, he, was, he was fighting on the German side. And the Allies bombed where he was stationed. And he saw his best friend killed. His, his body was literally blown up in front of him, into pieces in front of him, and it completely broke him. Seeing his best friend killed in that way. And that, and that same night, he was actually injured as well. He was in hospital. And, and, and in his mind, he cried like, God... Where are you? And that kind, of, that kind of struck and stayed with him. But then years later, he began to, to, to try and find out where was God. And then he finally got his answer. And the answer was, actually, right here. I was actually with you. I was always with you. I was with you, feeling what you're feeling. Understanding your confusion you're, you're, you're experiencing. Sensing your pain. The problem is, he was so much in pain, he just didn't realize it. Sometimes, you know... We, we, there is so much difficulty around us, we can't see God being present, which is why we have to remember that God is present. So when time comes and the vision seems a, a miles away, where difficulty is, is present and, and, and we're blinded, we can't see God, the fact is we remember, we don't need to see God, we remember that God is present. So as time moves on and the pain begins to subside, and we then begin to see God and say, yes, well, I knew you were always there. I knew you didn't abandon me. I knew I wasn't forgotten. I didn't see it. I didn't see you, but I chose to remember. 
that you are present. So as I like the way he says, I, I, I patiently wait. I patient, he's waiting, right? Because he knows God is there. He can't see it, but he holds on. He holds on to, to, to the truth that God is present. Finally, I want to end with this. Catching up with God. Now, I've just said we, shouldn't, we should lose our Messiah complex. I've also said that God does the work. But that doesn't mean that we don't get involved. You know, in, 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 well, in verse 19, he talks about his feet. He talks about his feet moving and treading. There's a sense that actually Habakkuk is expecting to be involved. He's expected to be around. He's expected to be there. And, and so mission and division 2020 is not something that God's going to do independently of us. It's something God's going to do, and he's inviting us to partner with him. It's, you know, basically, God is moving, and we are catching up with God. I want to leave you with two pictures. Uh, one by a guy called Ian Mobsby. He runs a church in central London. It's a new monastic church, and they basically have one of the most beautiful Gothic church buildings I've ever seen, which probably means nothing to most of you, but to me, that's amazing. I love Gothic buildings. And it's got massive doors. It's brilliant. It's an absolutely beautiful building. But one of the things he does say, which I, thought was, I think is particularly poignant and relevant, he talks about God, be, no, he's, God is moving. And the role of the church when it comes to mission is to discern what God is doing and then to follow after it. There's a sense that God is doing something and we need to be sensitive to what God is doing and we need to chase after that, catching up with God. The second picture I want to, I want to give out this morning is, is from a guy called Simon Sutcliffe, and he, he did a, a radio interview a number of years ago where he was talking about mission as guest. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but one of the key things he said was, mission is about making space or creating space for God to create God moments. I like that. The idea of us creating room and saying, God, now God, do your thing. I'm going to create as much space as possible and I'm going to invite God to do whatever God wants to do. I don't care what you do, God. Just know you've got as much real estate and as much space in which to do it in. That's what mission's about. And I believe, as a church, if we can do those two things, if we, can, if we can start discerning what God is doing and catching up with him, if we can start creating space, moving things out of the way and say, God, we're giving you this much space. We invite you to, to, to fill the vacuum with your presence. I believe, actually, the 2020 vision, those symptoms, those fruits, we will see those things. Those things will go from being impossible to being possible, to being plausible, to be acceptable, to be unbelievable. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if all of those seven become like hindsight faith? I mean, we've got seven as hindsight faith, but wouldn't it be great if all seven become like hindsight faith? We'll be like, yeah, we got this. We're confident. Yeah, I'm confident about 60,000 pounds. In the same way, we're confident about free crawling. Amen. If you you go to the the final slide, I will read this out. This is the uh, NIV version. Um, I'll read this out, then I'll close in prayer. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights.
Lord Jesus, we, we're so grateful that you are our strength. It's not our strength. It's not even our combined strength. It's you. You plus zero, everyone else, is a majority. And you are with us. And you are, and you are doing wonderful things. There is, a, there, is, there is a new things that you are doing, a new age, a new season, a new day you are bringing to this church, God. And, and, and we, are, we are challenged and, and, and excited about the, fruit, the, the fruits and the symptoms that you will bring as part of that, God. Lord, will you, will you give us faith? Would you give us confidence? Would you touch, would you cover us and fill us with your spirit, Lord, as we trust and look forward to the things you're going to do in the next few years, Lord? And ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen.